Joshua 3, verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord your God, the, of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourself and the Ark. Do not go near it so you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. So today being Vision Sunday, I want to tell you that our vision hasn't changed, okay? I'm going to share with you our vision. It's not changed. It's pasted on the wall of our Sandy campus, eventually on the walls here, but um, it hasn't changed. So I don't have any big announcements today, except we're going to keep on keeping on with reaching our valley, okay? But our vision hasn't changed, but we still have to have our vision set before us, right? Psalms 29 reminds us of that. In 18, it says, without a vision, the people will perish. We need a vision for our lives. Without a vision, we get lazy and complacent, right? We get stuck. And so we're continuing with the vision and to be reminded about what the vision is. So here's what we see in the Bible about vision, not only for our lives, but for the church. Okay, let's look at it together. Matthew 28, 19. This is the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So our great commission is the kingdom. This verse was written to everyone. Anyone who says yes to Jesus, they're now on mission. The mission is to tell everybody about Jesus, to help them find him. To help them take next steps in him. That's why we celebrate grow, next steps, table groups, next steps, things like that. We celebrate them because ultimately we're saying we're excited because you're getting discipled. You're getting to know your Savior. You're getting to be on mission with us, alongside of us. The second is this, Mark 12, 29 through 31, where it says, Jesus answered, the most important is listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. So this is the most, impor most important commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than this. So the greatest command is to love God and to love people. That's the command. So the vision for our lives is already set up. Okay? Some of us are wandering around looking for the vision of our lives. We do vision boards. We create all the things. We set goals for 2020 about what we're going to do. Best bod by 40, that's my goal, okay? I got a year and a half. <laughs> Accountability right here, okay? Um, but don't ask me how it's going. I might glare you down. I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, but um, we set goals and vision, but ultimately the biggest and greatest vision of our lives is kingdom. It's telling people about Jesus. It's as earth as in, on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And so we're searching for this great vision, but God's already laid it out for us. And some of us are like, I have never thought in the perspective of my father. I've only thought in the perspective of myself. Now, it's not bad to have great goals and plans and vision for your life. In fact, that keeps you progressing and moving forward. But I would ask, is it a kingdom-minded vision? Is everything you do in your life kingdom-minded? That when you set goals to be the CEO of the company, is it just so that you can reach the top? Or is it because when you reach the top, you can be an influencer for Jesus? 
And in corporate America, no, no, <laughs> we don't get to talk like that, right? But we can have kingdom vision. We can inspire people to Jesus. We can lead them to Jesus no matter what. Here at the well, this is our vision. Here at the well, we are building a house that welcomes the least and the lost, a house that beckons the brokenhearted and builds up the beat down. We are building a house that calls out the castaway and the commuter, the callous and the cast down, a house with its doors open to the marginalized and the maligned, a house that throws a party for the wayward and binds up the defeated. We are a house that welcomes home the burdened and the burnt out, encourages the discouraged, heals the hurting, loves the unlovable, and accepts the unacceptable. We are building a house that is united in cause, resolute in character, intentional with resource, founded on truth, and has Jesus at the center. We are a house where you can laugh and you can cry, you can doubt and you can dig in, and we are a house for this city where we say, welcome home. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And I would say that this vision can be applied to each of our lives. Because the church... And the house isn't about four walls. It's about each of us individually capturing the vision of God and the kingdom of God and saying, I'm going to apply this exact vision to my life. That I'm going to be the kind of person that welcomes the brokenhearted. That picks up the cast down. That loves the unlovable. That includes the castaway. Like, can you imagine if that was on the wall of your house? Can you imagine if you took this we need to do this. Make a poster or something. Write it down. <laughs> That's why I'm looking at you. <laughs> and you put this up in your house and you said, this is my house. When you walk into my house, when you walk into the parish house, this is what you'll get. You can cry here. You can laugh here. You can talk deep here. In fact, you will not leave my house not talking deep, not talking about the real things. Can you imagine if we were a true a church who decided to make the vision of God, the vision of the well, the vision of this body of Christ, applicable in every sphere of influence of our lives. So today, I believe that this message isn't just applied to us personally, but it's applied to what it takes for us personally to make the name of Jesus famous on earth today. So as we continue in our series, Selfies on Everest, I want to speak to you from the subject, breaking camp, as we look at what it takes to prepare and pursue vision in our lives and as a church. So, I don't know how many of you like camping. Who likes camping in here? Safe question. Glamping. Yeah, I do like glamping. One thing I hate about camping is 6 a.m. rolls around, and it gets hotter than heck in your tent. What is that about? We need to figure that out. But that's why glamping could be beneficial. You know, They have air conditioners sometimes. Um, but uh, we went camping about, three, I don't even know now, four or five years ago. I feel like this is how long it's been since we've actually gone camping. We loved Utah, and we said, we're going to go to Utah so we can camp. We don't camp. Um, <laughs> it takes too much effort. And so um, we went to Smith & Morehouse, uh, and it's beautiful. We, we get in there, and you're, like, tucked in the trees, and you have your tent set up, and you, you get settled in, and... You got everything prepared to make all the food and the s'mores and all the things, and you still feel pretty good, and you feel comfortable, and it's gorgeous, even in that small, you know, lot that you're stuck in, right? But here's the thing. If we went to Smith & Morehouse and just camped in their campground, we would never see the more that Smith & Morehouse is, the beauty that it is, because what it took to see 
Smith and Morehouse was breaking camp. It took leaving camp in order to see all the beautiful things about Smith and Morehouse. And when we broke camp and we left, we were able to see a beautiful reservoir, we were able to fish, we were able to see, you know, wildlife, unfortunately, unfortunately, right? So someone came in, they're like, just so you know, you might want to stay in camp because there's a black bear on the road. Yeah, I'll stay in my car, actually. It's fine, right? So the great things about leaving camp and going camping is that when you go camping, you get to explore new things. But if you just sit in your tent, in your comfort zone, in your lack of vision, you're stuck and you miss the more that God has for you, right? And so that's the issue with our lives sometimes is that we're not willing to break camp in order to see what is before us, in order to capture the vision set before us. See, you can't do anything in life without taking steps. We're going to talk about that in the next few points. In order to see it all, to see more, to capture the vision of God for your life, you have to break camp. So we're going to look at four points that help us break camp and live a life of vision. Are you guys ready? All right. The first point is this. We have to train for the task. Now, remember, we're talking about selfies on Everest, so we're we're going to talk a lot about Everest. I don't know any any of you in the room who are ever going to climb Everest. But if so, you're going to have some equipping right now, okay? But irrelevant, this applies to our life period when we're running a race, okay? So 1 Corinthians 9.24, we have to train for the task is our point. 1 Corinthians 9.24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Not everyone's a winner, guys. Just said that right there. (laughs) Sorry, touching buttons. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do, not, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I dis- discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, we love the idea of having new vision and new perspective for our lives, but there's often this great divide between our desire to step out, break camp, and follow in faith the one who calls us to join him on the journey, to climb the mountain, to move forward in our lives, to capture the vision of our lives. And that divide is often discipline, right? We just read in 1 Corinthians that that you have to have self-control in everything, in order to win the race. I don't know about you, but I lack some self-control in some areas, specifically around peanut butter, chocolate, anything, (laughs) double-stuffed Oreos. Please don't buy me them anymore. I appreciate the gifts, but trying to, I have goals, okay? (laughs) So that divide is discipline. And here's the thing. So um, probably about six or seven years ago, right when we moved here, we moved here and I Decided to run a 5K. Things to know. I don't like running at all. Nothing about running gets me excited. Nothing except the end. (laughs) When I'm like, yes, I am done. I didn't like any part of it. There's no music good enough to keep me going. Like, I don't don't like running. So 
I decided, though, I'm going to run a 5K. So there's this app out there called Couch to 5K. I like the couch better than the 5K. Okay? But what's great about it is you don't just get up and run a 5K. I would have died, period. There's just no two ways around it. I hadn't worked out for over 10 years since high school. And I got away with that for a long time. But then, you know, motherhood and, and uh, lack of, like, you know, metabolism catches up with you. And so, <laughs> so I did this couch to 5K and started it. And it's really great because you start out walking. That's my place. Yeah. Walking, right? And so the first day you walk and maybe you run for like, like run being like a lighter, a heavier walk for like a minute, okay? So you start really slow and it takes, I think it's about a six week process of this build up where you run a little bit each day to build up to run the 5K. And I did it. I finished it and I did run a 5K, the electric run with some girls and we actually just had some pictures pop up a couple months ago and I was like, oh, I did that one time. That's awesome. Never again. <laughs> but you can't just go out and run a 5K, right? You have to train for it. You have to get ready for the task. You have to have some self-discipline. You have to have some self-control. In the same way, while our desire to see God in our lives, to be a part of his grand vision of the kingdom of heaven, meaning earth, we, have, we often refuse the work, though, that it takes to experience the process in order to win the race. We all want to win the race, right? We all want this great thing. We all are striving for something, but some of us stop striving at a certain point. Some of us give up, but still want to win the race somehow, right? Like, that's how I am. I am the kind of person who thinks I will be good at everything I try. And if I'm not, I'm just so like, what happened? Like, I don't get it. I should be an excellent golfer. It's not that hard, right? <laughs> like, I think I should be good at everything, but the reality is I cannot be good at everything without training for the thing I'm trying to be good at. And so here we see this excerpt about, um, particularly about Everest, about how you have to train for this. So just listen, you probably will already decide you'll never do this ever when you hear this, okay? You need to get your body ready for the 29,035 foot climb to Everest summit, really, really ready. Okay, I watched a movie called Aeronauts last night. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It was on Amazon Prime. I see one back there. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking about this message and how high Everest is while watching this movie about a hot air balloon where they were kind of taking the, this trip in a hot air balloon to see how high they could get. And um, at about 20,000 feet, I was like, it was already dropping, like temperature was freezing, right? And I was like, there's no way. Like Everest is 29,000 29, foot climb. So just perspective wise, like you got to really train for this. So, so here we go. Depending on your current level of fitness, think about starting a workout like couch to 5K if that's your current level of fitness, if it's been a minute, um, a workout and hike training regimen several months to three years before you depart. Three years to train. Just think about all the training that goes into winning this race of Everest. Up to three years. To build muscle and cardiovascular strength, you'll need that as oxygen levels drop to nearly 70% from sea level, down, to, down nearly 70%. Run, walk, bike, swim, or hike for at least 45 minutes to an hour a day, four to six days a week. Carry a weighted backpack to build endurance. You can start at five pounds 
my backpack is like already here. Like, <laughs> it's fine. Here. And build until you're able to ascend 3,500. <laughs> Sorry. I haven't taken any med medical drugs this morning or anything. <laughs> 3,500 feet carrying 65 pounds. Okay, you're gonna get to from couch, five pounds to 65 pounds eventually carrying um, that in less than three hours. You have to ascend 3,500 feet with 65 pounds. Even seasoned climbers should enroll in a week-long training course to learn or review skills such as using oxygen takes, dealing. So what we're seeing here is that you have to train hardcore for the race of Everest, right? And in the same way, we're daily training for kingdom. We're daily training for this race that God's put before us. We're daily, he's not saying, oh yeah, you said yes to Jesus, now go tell the world about it and you're gonna be able to tell them all the Bible and everything in it and you're gonna be able to tell them how to run their lives and, and what Jesus says about this and that. No, I'm still learning that stuff. It's a daily race, but it is a race. It's a daily discipline to dive in, to know my word, to know who my Jesus is. And to figure it out. So it's a race. You can't give up in the middle of it and just be like, yeah, I landed. I, I'm here. We don't arrive until heaven. Okay? So every day we're practicing and training for this race of vision and kingdom and kingdom culture on earth and bringing people into the family of God every day. We're training by getting ourselves fed, by, lit, like, by praying, by seeking Jesus. We're training. So here's the point. Our ability to ascend to the top is dependent upon our training at the bottom. And our training takes much more time and investment than the race. Right? So when you train for couch to 5K, for example, it takes six weeks. It should take about 30 minutes to an hour, depending on where you're still at in the midst of all that, right? To actually run the 5K. And for some of you in here, you're like, oh my gosh, that's so slow. Well, I understand some people can run a 5K in like, I don't know, 12 minutes or something. That's not me. It's fine, but I did it, okay? But the reality is that it, the investment that you have to put into the race, to preparing to run the race, is much more than the actual race itself. The time and energy and consistency and showing up every single day is so much more than the actual race. So every day we're just saying, okay, I'm going to keep training. I'm going to train for the day that God sets before me, someone who needed him so desperately that I can just immediately clue into Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and know how to speak directly to their heart because I'm clued into my Heavenly Father. Amen. It takes time to become that confident. It takes time to know when the Spirit is talking to you and checking you about, hey, you, you know that person right there? You see how they're looking a little down? I want you to talk to them. I want you to love them. It takes time to begin to like pace that vision. We can pace that vision on the walls, but it takes time to figure out how that works out in our lives, right? It takes time to figure out how does me showing up matter? Because day to day, it gets exhausting, right? Someone was to tell me it's going to take three years to figure out how to climb Everest. I'm already done. That's not happening. <laughs> I'm good. I don't want to do that. What I want is immediate results. That's our problem. That's our generation, right? We want immediate results. And for the most part, we can get food in a minute. It doesn't take any time at all, unless you go to Starbucks, and now it takes 25 minutes. It's fine. Anyway, <laughs> side note. But we really do have it all in a moment. So learning to train for the long haul is such a key that it can take our life. It takes our life. Okay, the second point is this. We have to count the cost. 
Luke 14, 28 through 33. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, everyone of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Here's another excerpt from the same article about Everest. Taking on Everest has cost hundreds of people their lives, so we're counting the cost of Everest right now. Hopefully it'll just cost you several grand, grand airline tickets to Kathmandu, the most common departure point for treks, um, can cost thousands of dollars on their own, especially during the spring climbing season. Other expenses such as 4,000 to 10,000 for a climbing permit, just to climb, are rolled into the cost of a guided trip, which can run up to $70,000. This is all after shelling out a couple Gs for the training course. Gs is thousands, just so you know. Um, <laughs> for the training course, and then there's the gear, okay? So bottom line is, if you and I were ever to climb Everest, we would need to count the cost of what it costs to climb Everest. First of all, it costs us three years of training. Second of all, it costs us you know, upwards of $80,000. Truthfully, to see the visions of our lives fulfilled, we need to count the cost Jesus already asked us to spend. I'm going to read to you a verse that's kind of hard to swallow, but it's Bible. So let's look at Luke put a different way. Matthew was a little harsher than Luke, so he put it this way. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The cost of the vision of Jesus is our life. He's asking us to die to ourselves. He's asking us to love him above everything and everyone in our lives. But the promise is that when we when we exemplify death to self, that life, an abundant life, is ultimately found in Jesus, right? That's what we love about Jesus. We love that he gives us eternal life. But in this life, he asks that we would commit ourselves to him, that we would submit our lives to him, that we would lay down our lives and take up his cross and follow him. See, once the cost is counted, we realize the journey we are about to take and understand the great reward then we can climb without inhibition, without fear of failure, without fearing the future missing or anything, missing out on anything. See, that's when we can climb freely. That's when we can engage the race freely is when we are able to submit our life to him, when we're able to lay ourselves down. And we ultimately have no fear because we know that our vision is set correctly, that our, train, our, our trail is already set before us, that he's already gone before us. I mean, we look at the Old Testament. Some of us hate the Old Testament because it's a lot about war, but, you know, we were talking about this last night, Jason and I, and, you know, people are struggling as they're reading through the Bible with him, 
in the Old Testament. Because the reality is that God is willing to take out a lot of people for his children. And so it's rough. It's hard. And at the same time, you like that because you're his kids. Right? So you want your dad to be the guy that you're like, you can fight my dad. He's bigger than you. Right? But at the same time, we struggle with that. But the reality is that as we follow him and the vision for him, we have nothing to fear because we know who our father is. We know what we're running towards. We know that our life is submitted to him and that ultimately he can set us on a path of, of righteousness and holiness and ultimately seeing people impacted, seeing those who aren't his kids come to him. And so I just want to encourage you today to count the cost. And as you count it and choose to pay the price, the price will be great, right? My third point is this. We have to pack with purpose. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we also have, been, have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to pack with purpose. So you're probably wondering, well, what does that verse have to do with that? We're going to get into that in a minute. But the reality is that, I don't know about you, but sometimes when um, we go on a trip, Jason's especially terrible about this. See, I will try on every outfit and make sure I have exactly what I need. And usually I'll throw in a couple extra things because you never know how that day might feel. Women, right? <laughs> Guys, you don't have this problem. But girls, you know, you never know how that day is going to go. So you might need another, another shirt just in case. One's a little tighter. So... <laughs> So, you know, but the problem with our family sometimes is I am always trying to, like, pack as tightly as possible just because I don't like bringing everything everywhere we go. And I try to pack light and then still, though, need a couple pairs of shoes and all the things. Well, Jason literally overpacks. Like, I mean, we got him a smaller suitcase, so that's helping the, the matter. But I think he, like, stands on the suitcase to zip it, and it explodes if you open it. But, um... <laughs> So the reality is, though, too often is that we pack the things that we do not need, right? When we go on a trip, we pack the things we don't need, usually the gym clothes. Good intentions, but it never works out. I don't know. Some of you are more diligent than me, but I always pack gym clothes, and most of the time I don't end up needing them. I think about it a lot. They're there, and I'm ready if I'm willing, right? <laughs> but sometimes we pack the things we don't need, and we forget to pack what we do need. Too often, we don't pack with purpose for the journey that's before us. And the journey that Jesus has us on is one that must be packed for with purpose. See, the cl this cloud of witnesses is referencing those of old who would, like Joshua and the children of Israel, only take what was needed for the trip. I mean, Jesus didn't have a suitcase everywhere he went. He only took what was needed. And when you think about Jesus and the story of the rich man in the Bible, we see the story of the rich man who comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, great, sell all your possessions. And he won't do it. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through a needle than the person, that person to say yes to me. And so the reality is that we have to pack with purpose. We have to understand that what Jesus is asking us to bring is not material. Jesus is asking us to show up. He's asking us to run the race alongside of him. You are his plan, A, for seeing other people find the hope of Jesus in this world. 
and on this earth and in this generation. There is no plan B. Is he big enough to come in and just take it all over? Yes, he is. He doesn't want to. He's invited us on the journey. We get to go with him. See, only take what you need and make sure that you leave that which has kept you in bondage. Some of us want to pack all the photo albums of our past. We want to bring all the photo albums. We have boxes and boxes and boxes of memories stacked up in our attics or our basements or our garages. And God's saying, just bring what you need. Are you willing to leave it behind for me? We cannot step forward in faith if we are still held captive by yesterday's failings. And some of us have forgotten that Jesus broke the chains off your failings and they're no longer a part of you and they're no longer something you have to try to bring with you on the journey with him. They're no longer something that needs to hold you back. In fact, he'll use the past for someone else's future. See, that's when he uses the past. He doesn't waste it. He uses everything. But he's going to use it for someone else's future. Because, see, your future is already secure. You already know him. You've already accepted him. You've already taken that step. So he's going to use everything that's happened to you, every situation that you've been in, if you submit it to him for someone else's hope, for someone else's future, for someone else's story. And he needs you because your story is different than my story, and I can't reach that person that has a similar story the way you can reach that person. The fourth and last point is this. We have to start with a step. James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently in the, into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Our last little excerpt from this article about Everest. A Nepalese departure will send you along the southern route to the summit, getting to Everest Base Camp, where the trek ostensibly, I can't speak big words today, so I'm sorry, literally, <laughs> starts. It, it itself is a 10-day, 17,000-plus-foot affair. From there, you climb to Camp 1, atop the glacial Kumba Icefall. If you guys have ever studied Everest, I'm probably tearing these words apart. At 19,500 feet. It'll be 1,500 feet or more on a gradual slope to Camp 2, and 2,000 between that and the third camp situated at the head of the, the lot space. Above this, you'll need those oxygen takes on the mixed snow and rock path to Camp 4. At 26,300 feet in what's known as the death zone. Like, I'm already out. If I read this article and the word death zone is in it, I'm not going, okay? A, a day's rest, then onward along, onwards along the southeast ridge to the south summit, and the Hillary step, and in the morning, the final summit attempt. In other words, we have to take a step, and a next step, and a next step. You're going to get to camp one, you camp for a minute, and you break camp, and you move on. Here's the reality I just wonder this, this morning is, 
How many of us would have said yes to Jesus if the first verse we read in the Bible was, give me your life? Right? I think that's something we have to check in ourselves today. Do we just love the idea of Jesus and eternal life and a Savior and this kind of kumbaya reality that so many of us are okay with? Or are we the kind of people who understand the grace and the, the gift that Jesus gave us on the sacrifice of the cross? And we understand it so deeply that we want to be the kind of people that die to the vision of God, which is the kingdom of God, which is people's souls. And I think some of us, we disqualify ourselves too early because we say, oh, I don't know anything about the Bible. I can't tell people about Jesus. Your story. You know your story. You know what triggered in you this hope in him, ultimately. Sometimes that's the first step, is just knowing how to share your story. Knowing how to love people. We can all work on that a little bit, right? There's such basic moments, and sometimes we overcomplicate we overcomplicate the gospel, we overcomplicate our ability to influence people, we overcomplicate our ability to love people, and the reality is he's just saying, take the next step, love somebody better today, share your story today, encourage somebody today, start with, hey, you have a great smile today, whatever it is, God would want to use it, and sure, you might not realize like, oh, the whole idea of like, die to self is hard but when we are loving others we're automatically dying to ourselves because it's not easy when we love others we're often having to sacrifice a preference within us right maybe it's at that grocery store counter when you don't want to stick around because you feel terrible or you have three children nagging at you asking for candy that's just my life but and you don't want to stick around and talk any longer you don't want to stick around and dig into someone's life but in that moment God is saying hey she needs your encouragement. Would you love her? I'm going to have to lay down my preference in that moment. I'm going to have to die to myself in that moment. I'm going to have to love somebody in that moment. I think that's all God's asking us to do is to daily and momentarily die to ourselves and say, hey, I'm going to lay down my preference because I understand that the cause is so much bigger than myself. That I wasn't called into him for me. I was called into him for them. I was called into him and into his kingdom so that I might spread the gospel so that other people might know Jesus and that they might know the truth and that the truth would set them free. There are people in our world running around in such bondage and such brokenness and you have the keys to their chains inside of you, inside of your story, inside of your heart, inside of your dying to self. That is where the keys to their life is. So I just want to encourage you, church, that as we move into 2020, would we be a church that plasters on our walls at home, at work, wherever we are? I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to lay my preferences down, and I'm going to follow the vision of God for all of our lives, which is to seek first the kingdom of God, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, which is to love God and love people. I'm going to do that. That's my only choice. If that's your only thing for 2020... That's a big thing. You can do it.